Genesis chapter number 12, I want to read uh, the first three verses. I'm reading from the New Living Translation of the Bible. Here's what it says. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter number 11, verse number 8. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. He, he went without knowing where he was going. So for the, for the next few moments, I want to preach to you from uh, the title, The Amazing Ambiguity of Abraham. I know it sounds like a dope direct-to-Netflix movie title, but I want to talk to you about the amazing ambiguity of Abraham. As you are stepping into uh, uh, a new year of faith, as you, are, as you are preparing for the end of the year giving, I want you to understand something about ambiguity that I hope brings you some context as to the walk that you're in right now. So bow your heads, let's pray, and then I'm going to get started, shall we? Holy Spirit, help us with ambiguity. Amen. That's it. I pray quick. I know it's frustrating for the intercessors. They're like, you're not done. Come on, give us some more. <laughs> but he heard me. I promise he heard me. And uh, that's why I am the king at Thanksgivings, because we eat turkey when it's hot. So uh, that's the wonderful thing about Thanksgiving. They love when I do it. Um, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had I am one of them. So are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Some of y'all went to camp. Yes. It's always a risk to break out into Father Abraham. You don't know who went to camp or not, but yes. This man has a song written about him. We know him to be the father of our faith. If it's not for his step into the unknown, we are not here right now. We're not worshiping across all of these campuses. We're not penetrating prisons. We're not doing anything if it's not for Abram stepping out into this faithful moment and being counted as righteous before God. But a lot of times when we see things and read things and have the benefit of hindsight, uh, we can in many ways subconsciously venerate and or deify or put a, a supernatural spin on something that was very, very basic and regular. It's easy to look back uh, at Abram's life and go, oh, my goodness, he believed God. He is a superhero in the faith. 
But, but I think part of my work in this sermon is to bring Abram back to a very, very basic place. Because there was nothing special about him. There was something special about the God that invited him. But Abraham was just like you and I. He was regular, degular. He was super basic. He didn't have more faith than you. He wasn't more prone to believe God than any of us would be. And so I think it's best to just go back and just contextualize Abram for a moment before understanding why this faith was so amazing that he stepped into. Abram is 75 years old when God broaches a conversation with him. He's not 17. He's not 27. He's not 37. He's 75 years old. Now, I'm 47. I look 30. It's just the way my melanin is set up. My ancestors were awesome. My genes are strong. But I'm 47 years old, and I just want to take a quick poll. Is there anybody in here that would be honest with me, because I'm going up first. It's not a trick question. Anybody in here that would be honest enough with me to say, at the age and stage you are now, there's certain things about you that if God doesn't talk to you about it, you ain't changing. (laughs) Oh, God. Fresh Life is an honest church. I love (laughs) y'all. What I love more is some hands went up, and I know y'all ain't 30 yet. Some of y'all are young talking about, I ain't changing nothing. (laughs) I'm 47, and there's already some things that I'm like, yeah, I ain't changing. Abram is 75 years old. The age and stage that you are not supposed to be trying to teach a new. See how I pause. Not supposed to be trying to help anybody change anything at that age and stage. God doesn't come in and say, hey, Abram, I don't like the way you dress. I like to see you more in fashion. Those dockers don't work anymore, man. With those double pleats. I need you to change your wardrobe. No, he comes after the big three. After 75 years of Abram worshiping the sun, the moon, the stars, probably some carved out images that he just set up in his tent that were just kind of looking at him. A voice that he's never heard doesn't make a suggestion to tweak something in his life. A voice that he's never heard says, I need you to leave your kin your country, and your culture. Your kin, your country, and your culture. Say it with me. Your kin, your country, and your culture. Again. Your kin, your country, and your culture. One more time. Your kin, your country. 
Not one of three, not two of three, three of three, not in stages, all at the same time. Abraham, who has been worshiping sun, moon, and stars, perhaps some graven images that he had in his tent, hears a voice he never hears before, and he's intrigued. I believe one of the reasons why he has been intrigued by this voice that is speaking to him is because for 75 years, he has been worshiping gods and or idols that have never talked back. So in many ways, ladies and gentlemen, I believe Abraham had already been living for 75 years in ambiguity. Disconnected from the God of the universe, his literal creator, he is meandering through life, doing the best that he can, and all of a sudden he hears God speak to him, and he says, I need you to leave your kin, your country, and your culture. Not one of three, not two of three, three of three, and not over... 10 years, if you want the deal, bud, come now. Can we just let this marinate for a moment? For all of us that love our country, who were born in the USA, I was Imagine God. At 75 years old, while you're trying to enjoy your retirement, grandkids, and whatever strength you have left in your body, whatever hair you still have on the top of your head, however many teeth are still in your mouth, tell you, get thee up out of this country away from everyone that has your last name and follow me. Where? I'm not telling you. But where are we going? I'm not talking to you about that. I'm not going to talk to you about what's next until you leave what's now. Somebody needs to write that down. Because if you're really going to follow God, he will make you step into spaces and places where he doesn't give you details. He gives you a command. He doesn't give you any color. <laughs> and he's inviting you into a place of ambiguity. And it can be absolutely scary. And there can be some hesitation that you have because how many strategists do I have in the room? How many planners do I have in the room? You operate off of a calendar. You won't even take a dinner engagement without knowing where is the restaurant. Send me the website link. I must survey the menu first. When I sit down to order at the restaurant, the, the, the waiter says, do you need any time? Nope, I did reconnaissance on you two weeks ago. <laughs> I'm going to try 
this elk you speak of. <laughs> I need to know logistics. I need to know where we're going. I mean, God, come on, you, you, you're structured. I've read the first two chapters of Genesis. There's a whole structure to that, sir. So don't ble be, blame me for being like you. I've created in your image. But God invites us into spaces and places of ambiguity. Here's the thing you need to know. Ambiguity and confusion are two different things. God is not the author of confusion, but he is most indeed the architect of ambiguity. And he invites you. Hey, come with me. I know you were born and raised in Montana. It's great here. Let's go. Where? I'm not telling you. You know, everybody that has your last name, forget about them. Let's go. What? You're trying to gather all your things and you're trying to take all the stuff that you like and you grew up on eating. And he goes, no, 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 you're going to leave that too. The culture has to go too. The cadence in which you communicated, the idioms that you used, the way, the language that you spoke, the clothes that you wore, the way that you remember everything, I'm ready to change. And all I need you to do is place your faith in me. Here's the thing that's beautiful. He doesn't say, trust me. God is so smart. He knows relationships so well. It would be unfair for him to say, trust me. Because he understands that trust requires empirical data. It's only after I've spent time with you that I can learn to trust you. So he says the prerequisite of, of, of a relationship with me is not trust, it's faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. He never invites you into a relationship and just says, ah, oh, just trust me. I don't care what you came out of. I know you were agnostic. Just trust me. It's a little more invitational than that. It's more like, hey, give me a shot. What else you been doing? <laughs> Nothing else has seemed to work. You might as well give me a chance. He invites Abram into this relationship. Leave your kin, your country, and your culture, and follow me to a place that I'm not going to talk to you about until you do this right now. Now, listen, we're, we're coming up to an end-of-the-year offering where we're casting vision about what's next in the future of what Fresh Life is going to be doing. And there's some people that get excited about vision and they're like, I don't even know how any of it's going to happen, but I'm with it right now. But, 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 I, but I, I want to I, I empathize with the people that don't get as excited about vision because you need more details. You, you would love to be as excited as everybody else, like, I don't, get, I don't know how it's going to happen, but whoa! Right? And you're, like, sitting next to that person, like, oh, my gosh. Rub some of that off on me, because I have questions. I need to, like, see kind of like a pro forma. I need to know over the course of, like, three years how this actually works, because I don't see how the math ain't mathing. I need some more details. 
Here's what God has to say to you in the most loving way. I'm not giving them to you. Here's the misconception about vision. The misconception about vision is that it brings clarity. No, it doesn't. Vision is about information and revelation. But before you can receive the vision that God gives you, you have to step into this place called ambiguity. Abram, get out of your country and your father's house to a place that I will talk to you about later. Got enough faith? And Abraham literally packs up his whole life based off these sketchy details. <laughs> Imagine talking to your wife and your nephew and your employees, and you're like, hey, we're moving our family and our entire business. Where? have no idea. <laughs> heard a voice from this guy I've never heard from before. I'm going to just test it out. Why? Well, I've been worshiping these trees for 75 years. They've gotten me nowhere. The worst that could happen is that I'm wrong. I think I just freed 100 people right there. I promise you, I felt it when I said it. Sometimes faith is not about the fact that you have the absence of doubt. Faith most of the times means you don't even know if this is going to work. But the worst that can happen is just that you're wrong. And I've lived long enough to know I've been wrong before. <laughs> I'll probably be wrong again. So we might as well. Abram packs up his stuff. Sarai packs up her stuff. Lot packs up his stuff. All the servants and, and all the employees pack up their stuff. And they just go. Where are we going? I don't know. When will we be there? Have no clue. Are we there yet? I don't know. Stop asking me these questions. You're just walking by faith. And as you're walking by faith, you're, you're, you're trying to get these updates from the Lord. All right, Lord, we out here. Got any updates? H Hello? Come on, I heard this big booming voice. I got like 17 confirmations. I'm out here, Lord. Any updates? So what do you do when you're out there and you're obedient, but you don't have an update? This is where we get tempted to compromise because we're itching for the details. One update would be so helpful right now. But I don't have it. And before you know it, if you're not faithful to what he told you to do, you can start making up stuff. Well, I think he meant, you know what, we should try to do something to maybe expedite this whole thing. 
Do you know there's still a war going on in the Middle East off of that thought right there? Time does not afford me to go into it. <laughs> but it was because of impatience and an itch for clarity during a season of ambiguity that made Abram and Sarai compromise and come up with their own solution. A solution that's still fighting in the Middle East right now. I want to pause and say, uh, maybe this would be helpful for some up and coming preachers. Uh, th there's three ways to preach the Bible, I think. This is just my own personal uh, opinion. I think it's right. Um, <laughs> three ways to present the gospel. You can present it with the Bible behind you. You can present it with the Bible in front of you. You can present it with the Bible on the side of you. Let me explain. People that preach the gospel with the Bible behind them uh, sound a little something like this. You know, I was with my daughter, Madison. She's three. She was eating some cereal. You know, she picked up the bowl, tried to sip it, but she went back too far. Milk just drenched Madison. She was a mess. She began to scream, Daddy, Daddy. And I went over to Madison and picked her up out of her high chair, and I just held her. Because, you know, sometimes we're a mess, and God holds us. And somewhere in the Bible it says that. <laughs> Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And you're like, what? Did I just leave with the theology of Madison? Where is the, you don't have a scripture for that? Don't preach like that. There's some people that preach with the Bible in front of them. And they're like, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. So do what the Bible says. Because it says it. Oh, it says it right there and right there and right there too. And if you don't believe me, put it on the screens. See, it says it. Read it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? <laughs> you just walk away like, ouch. <laughs> Why does the Bible hurt when you preach it? I, I, I like the third option. And the third option is when you preach with the Bible side by side. And that is when you read the text and tell us what it says. Theologically and contextually. And then you tell us what it has said to you. Then you show us what it says, and then you show us how it has showed up on you. This is the way I like to preach, and it leaves you a little bit more vulnerable. Sometimes you walk away thinking, I think I said too much. They probably think I'm crazy. But, but, but there, there's a human connection that we have to have. And after the Bible has read me, I just like to tell you what it's read. And so I'm preaching this message, not theoretically. I'm not preaching this message in a way that's like, hey, the Bible says that and you should do it because Abraham stepped into ambiguity and you should too. I'm literally living this out as we speak. <laughs> I'm in the middle 
of the most ambiguous season of my entire life. There is way more that I don't know than what I do know. But I actually don't have faith in this season. I have trust. And the reason why I have trust in this season is not faith. It's not because I'm super. It's just that I now have empirical data. I've been walking with him for 26 years. And this is literally my fourth major get thee up. It started when I was a wee lad. <laughs> I was 21 years old. I had been saved for 18 months. I'd given my life to Jesus on January 14th of 1996. And in June of 1997, I was supposed to go to Dallas for 30 days uh, to visit family that I had never met. Our entire family emanates uh, in East Texas. I had never been to Texas in my life. I'm born and raised, so I'm in California, the hood. And uh, I survived it. And um, uh, I was supposed to go just meet my, my, my family from Texas. And two days before I left, the Holy Spirit said, buy a one-way ticket to Dallas. It was the very first time I, I feel like I heard the audible voice of the Lord. He said, buy a one-way ticket to Dallas. That was it. I heard it, and I immediately started weeping. I didn't know what was about to happen, but I knew I was moving to Dallas. And it scared me because I was West Coast, West Side for life. I loved Cali, okay? And I got, my parents gave me $400. I stuffed three suitcases, and they bought me a one-way Greyhound bus ticket. I spent two and a half days from California to Dallas, and I got to Dallas, and I went, please send me back home, Jesus. Because <laughs> let me be honest with you, a lot of times when you get a word from God, you won't like it. I just want to calibrate your expectations for everybody that's like, speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. We need a word, Lord. So speak, Lord. He's like, move to a different country. You're like, no, Lord. That's not my word, Lord. I don't like this. Sounds like a Disney song. I moved to Texas. I don't like it for four years. Moved there in 1997. I met Juliet in 98. We got married in 99. And I'm like, I got my wife. Can I go home now? He said, no, 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 this wasn't. This wasn't to come get your wife and go home. I want you here. And I'm like, I don't like it here. I feel like I'm dying here. He's like, that's the point. So I stepped into ambiguity. And by stepping into ambiguity, I wound up getting clarity. And when I got the clarity, I received a promise, a promise for my future. I began to understand what he wanted to do with me. I had enough details to go along. And so I'm married to the love of my life, the wife of my youth. And, and, and I'm at a great church. And God's giving me favor at the church. I'm preaching at this church. I'm, I'm getting influence at this church. It's all good. And we were at that church. I was at the church for 13 and a half years. Juliet was at the church for about 15 years. And in, in, in November of 2008, the Holy Spirit was like, get thee up. It's time for a transition. I was like, no. I like it here. It's amazing. Now, uh, I gave my life to Jesus in, in, in a church that had 50 people in it, okay? 
Uh, my parents uh, pastored for 15 years bivocationally. That's the, that's the place I gave my life to Jesus in. So I'm very, very comfortable in a small, intimate setting. This is like tickling all of my, all of my senses because it, it feels like home. But then I wind up at like a huge church. I was at the Potter's house with Bishop T.D. Jakes, and it's huge, and it's black. Oh, it's so black. And I'm from Southern California, and it is, it's not a melting pot. I don't like when people call diverse spaces a melting pot because when you melt stuff together, you can't even discern the differences between all of the materials. This is a salad. Huh? When you got a salad, you want your cucumbers to be cucumbers. You want your cherry tomatoes to be cherry tomatoes. You want your banana peppers to be banana peppers. You want romaine to be different from kale, and you want kale to be different from the iceberg. So I like my salad, and I got to the potter's house, and it was black. I'm like, where is anybody else? They're like, they're all over the place. This is the South, segregation. I was like, oh, my bad. But I learned to enjoy that culture, and I learned to enjoy that season. January of 2010, it was my first time going to Australia, and as the plane is banking to land at the Sydney International Airport, the Holy Spirit said, this is your last year at the Potter's House. And I was like, please tell Juliet. <laughs> All the married people can relate. You get a word from the Lord, you're like, please tell my spouse, because I, like, I don't feel like trying to prove it was you, Jesus. So <laughs> wake them up to go pee, but then talk to them before they get back into bed. God has spoke to Juliet, and that was indeed our last year at the Potter's House. It was a great season. Nothing was wrong. The season was just up. Hello, nothing has to be wrong for a transition. Sometimes he tells you to leave what you think you're in love with so he can prove to you that you shouldn't love anything more than him. So I leave Potter's house. That was a, we, 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 we didn't have a church home for five months. That's the longest we've ever gone without having a church home. Then the Holy Spirit says, go to Gateway Church. And I was like, no. No, I'm good. I'm good. I don't want to go to Gateway Church. I just came from the blackest black church. And now you want me to go to the whitiest white church. He's like, I want you to go to Gateway Church. I go in Gateway. We go in Gateway Church. We were like, we don't like the worship here at Gateway. It's, um, it's too wordy. It's, uh, it's a lot of words on that screen. I don't know if this is a song or a journal entry, but um, <laughs> like, how do you, where's the bridge? I don't know. Where's the vamp to this song? I'm not sure. It's a lot of words, but okay. And so I went from dressing like I was at the prom every weekend at a black Pentecostal church because you dress up. You got on suits and it's, that's the culture, right? I had to leave the culture and the language and all that kind of stuff. And I wind up at Gateway where we're dressing every weekend like we're closing a deal on oil and gas. <laughs> it was denim and a blazer. I had no idea what a blazer was. I'm like, that's a suit jacket that's missing suit pants. And they're like, no, it's a blazer. Get with the program. I get to Gateway, huge shocker to everybody except me, I fit more at Gateway than I did at Potter's House. 
It's just a natural fit. I was there for three and a half years. And then he says, get thee up. Where are we going now? Plant a church. Where? Irving. What part? Las Colinas. I mean, okay, but I like it here. Get thee up. So we wind up planting a church in Irving, Texas called Embassy City Church. It was in a zip code. Thank you. Thank you. Good job, God. It was in a zip code. Uh, this zip code, top 10 most racially diverse zip codes in the United States of America. A Cali boy that moves to Texas, goes to an all-black church and an all-white church, is told to go to one of the most racially diverse zip codes in the, in the United States of America and plant a diverse church led by a black man. In Texas. You know what that church looks like? The United Nations. That church has, when I tell you everybody go to that church, black, white, Hispanic, Southeast Asian, Native American, and then like all these biracial babies because the combos that you get when you get everybody in the room, you get the yummiest babies you have ever seen in your entire life. Like the shortest, the shortest like Asian dude walks in with his Swedish wife that is seven inches taller than him they got the yummiest babies in the world. Then you got like a beautiful dark Nubian princess black woman with like a white man who has an orange beard. <laughs> and they got like mocha babies with fire red curls coming out of their head. And you're like, that's a dope combo. I like your babies. It's amazing. We've been pastoring that church for seven years. It's been awesome. Until our sixth anniversary last year, where we get a prophetic word from the Lord. Nobody asked this woman to speak. It's my friend Charlotte Gamble. She preached at her church. And at the end, she gave us a prophetic word and had no idea the prophetic word was about us leaving the church as lead pastors. Get thee up. No. Where are we going, Lord? I'm not talking to you about that. I'm in my mid-40s. I have a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old. This is usually not when lead pastors make career changes. Oh, you're absolutely right, Tim. If you had a career. But you don't have a career. You have a calling. What am I going to do? I'm not talking to you about that yet. Where am I going to go? I'm not talking to you about that yet. Can I at least pay my mortgage? Stick around and find out. This seems pretty ambiguous. Like everything's going great, God. I don't understand. Why would you? If this was the first time, I'd probably have to apply faith. If it was the second time, I'd probably be a little scared and maybe still have to apply faith. After the third time, you're like, I, maybe this is just my life. And then when it's the fourth time, you're like, I have a PhD in transition. <laughs> it's pretty sweet. In May of this year, the Holy Spirit said, oh, I do want to give you something. I'm not going to give you all the details, but here 
take this. And I'm like, what is this? He's like, a podcast. I'm like, take that back. <laughs> I literally was like, you can have that back. I don't, I'm not interested in this at all. I'd rather throw a penny into the ocean than to do a podcast. Everybody's doing a podcast. He's like, no, take the podcast. In four and a half months, the, while we were here, while we were in a hotel room waiting to get picked up by Cole, I love you, Cole. Our, our, our YouTube subscriptions hit 100,000 subscribers while we were here. This is crazy. More people know me as a podcaster in four and a half months than a preacher for the last two and a half decades. Because when God invites you into ambiguity, he does want to give you clarity. He's just not going to lead with it. The vision of everything that God has put in pastors Levi and Jenny is going to be realized. But he's never going to lead with the clarity. He's never going to show you where the money's coming from before he gives you the vision to do it. He tells you to do it. Then you start seeing how he wants to manifest it. And let me throw this in as a bonus before I leave. If you can ask it or think it, that's not the way he's going to do it. I'm going to let that marinate for a moment. If you can ask or think how it's going to be done, that is not the way he's going to do it. I have Bible for it. He will do exceedingly abundantly above what you can ask or think according to the power that works on the inside of us. So if you can ask it or think it, that's not the way he's going to do it. If you're sitting up thinking, oh, man, you know what? So-and-so just got a huge inheritance from their uncle. They're probably going to sow a big old seed, and we're going to be able to write off one of these vision things right now. The Lord's like, cross that one off the list. <laughs> and so I want to give you some encouragement. Stop asking and stop thinking about the way you think it could go down. And just step back and say, hey God, I may not have trust in this area, but I have faith that you were going to do exactly what you said you would do. So I just, I came, my assignment was to come encourage you to step into ambiguity. It's not an invitation that people are like, yeah! Most people step into ambiguity like this. The reason why I wanted to tell you what it looked like real time is because sometimes when we say stuff in hindsight, we kind of embellish. I stepped out on faith and I believed God and he met me and it was amazing. <laughs> and you're kind of just sitting there like, oh my goodness, I'm going to never take a step that big. So let me show you the type of faith steps that God honors. God honors faith like this. God honors faith like this. When God peeks over the balcony of heaven, he just goes, yeah, they both took a step. He doesn't measure faith by length. He measures faith by obedience. As you are leaning into 
year-end vision, whether you have a lot of faith or a little faith, apply it in the space of ambiguity and see how God responds. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? What, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you through this message? I did a lot of talking, but, but the Holy Spirit does the speaking, right? He, he is the one that leans in to that time and lets you know, this is what I want to say specifically to you. Can you think about a moment in your life presently where things are just not clear? They're ambiguous. It's hard to discern how you're supposed to navigate it. I just want to encourage you that it is in these spaces that God does the most revealing of himself. Abram walked with God until his name got changed, until he got a son with his wife, until he stepped on land that was promised for generations to come. But he didn't know that when he was leaving. And he didn't get an update 10 minutes after he left. Ambiguity is a season that we must embrace because ambiguity precedes clarity and clarity precedes promises. And if we try to circumvent the order, we will find ourselves frustrated and in danger of compromising something that God's trying to produce in our lives. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to pray for my brothers and sisters, God's sons and daughters, to be open to the ambiguity. God, thank you for what you've done and what you're doing. We submit to the way that you are leading us in this season. Help us not to panic in the space of ambiguity and for your glory show us how meaningful your promises are when we as your children wait on you in Jesus name we pray amen come on let's thank God I think it's so perfect to end there with that thought of singing the hymn of heaven, our eyes focused on on heaven, because that was Abraham's secret. If you keep reading in Hebrews 11, it says he was able to do all of this because he had his eyes on the heavenly city. That's how he walked away from what he knew, what he could control, what he was used to. He had his eyes on the heavenly city and trusted God. And all throughout his difficulty, all throughout his 
willingness to live in tents and be a stranger and not have it be what he was used to. I mean, goodness gracious, Abraham was born in the place where they invented the hot tub, okay? If there's any place you want to stay, it's that place. He left what was comfortable and lived uh, uncomfortable because he had his eyes on the heavenly prize. And I think that's, that's key for us, is to keep our eyes on heaven. And you know, I, in, in many ways, have um, a little bit of jealousy for Tim because of the way that I think uh, keeping faith when God calls you to just completely jettison everything so regularly. And, and this is a man, let me tell you something, who, who lives out in the, in the secret and in the shadows even more than what he communicates on platform. I don't know if I've ever told you the story, but when we were opening up Fresh Life Salt Lake City, there was um, a, a budget shortfall in what we needed to buy the equipment to open up that location. And right around that time, Jenny and I had been preaching in Australia. And actually, Tim and Juliet were also with us. We were preaching in the, in the, the Northern Territories of Australia and uh, doing ministry there together. That was where we met each other, preaching in uh, revival meetings of, of youth that had come together from all across the continent of Australia. And when we uh, were in the back room talking at one point, we had shared the vision and the, 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 the plan to open up a church in, in Utah. And uh, we didn't tell them there was, you know, lack. We didn't tell them it was, you know, a stretching of our faith. And I, I don't think I even had told you guys this. But when we got home, I received a phone call from Tim. And he said, they were new, by the way, in their church plan. Embassy City was only a year old at that point. And he said, God put it on our hearts for us as a church to come around this vision of planting a new church in, in Salt Lake City. And I said, bro, you're Brent. You guys, you are probably just even just making do, just getting your, your, your own self off the ground. And he said, don't, he said, with all due respect, don't deprive us of the right to have some skin in the game of what God's doing in Salt Lake City. Because we sense God doing a strategic work in bringing this church into that city. And we want to invest. We, like if you had the chance to invest in Google when it was new, you'd do it, right? He said, we want to be a part of this from the, from the ground up. And they did send a sacrificial gift as a church community that meant a lot to them in that moment. And that's, by the way, right now, as we're preaching in Salt Lake City, that's, 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 that's fruit to Pastor Tim and Julia and Embassy City Church's account. And so this, this message uh, is one he has lived out in, in big ways and in little ways. Uh, but, but honestly, in a, in a way, I, I look at it and go, man, it, it takes such faith. Uh, I want to live a life of faith. I want to live a life like that. And, you know, if God calls you just to just walk away from everything over and over again, right? And, and I'm going, how, I'm asking myself as I'm listening to this message, how do I live this out when I've been called to stay, not to go? And I'm open. Look, if God says, Levi, you and Jenny are to leave Fresh Life Church and to leave this area and go preach somewhere else, we will. Because I want to follow God no matter what he calls us to. I love you, and I, I would love to continue to be your pastor until I'm old and feeble and you can bury me in Montana. I already bought the ground. We already own it. We, uh, we, we're going to be buried in Montana tomorrow, no matter where we die. But, but let me tell you something. I love God more than I love you. And I'm going to follow God no matter what the cost. And just as... It took faith, you know, 15 years ago when we left California and, and started this, it didn't make sense. In fact, a man I respected asked me to breakfast and over pancakes told me, Levi, it is not God's will for you to move to Montana. And I said, with all due respect, how do you know that? He said, because you've been called to reach a lot of people and you're reaching a lot of people in California. There are a lot of people in California. There's not even 1 million people in the state of Montana. It's not good math. It doesn't make sense. It's not God's will. And something inside me, I heard what he said, I finished my pancakes, but something inside me said, what if God wants to send us to an unlikely place to reach a lot of people? Can't God do it? 
And I loved it because it took faith, it took that missionary entrepreneurial spirit to step out like that. But as we're in this season, God has not called us to leave the boat and leave this church and go do something else. And so I'm asking the question, how does it take faith to continue in this thing? And I think a part of that is to continue to sacrifice, to continue to do things that don't make sense, to continue to fight, to, to reach out, to continue to have our eyes on other people. And it can take just as much faith to stay as it does to go. And so as you and I hear this message, the key is, will we keep our eyes on that heavenly city? Or will we look at what we can control? Will we look at what's comfortable? Will we look at what we know? And I think for us, as we consider this table and all that God's going to do, I want us as a church community to buy a bus, a school bus for Nepal, for, for children to be taken back and forth to programs. I want us to build, fully fund and build four different wells in Malawi, Africa, so that people can have clean drinking water. I want to send $30,000 to God behind bars so we can reach more prisoners around the country. I want to put on banquets for people with special needs through Hope Heals. And it goes on. I want to work to, to help the, the foster program and to raise education and awareness. I don't want to just clap when Roe v. Wade is overturned. I want us to do the hard work of helping teen mothers to know that they have resources and options to take care of, to help families know that they can open up their home and be foster parents and to see God work. And on and on we could go through this booklet, over $550,000 of dreams. They're just not our dreams. And seven years ago, we shifted how we did the, our vision series. You know, we look, it's easy, and especially in a time of inflation where everyone's bottom line is feeling the pinch. And I'm talking to faith leaders and nonprofit leaders all around the country and around the world who are seeing donations go down as people's bottom lines and budgets get tighter. And I get it. And maybe, just maybe, this is the best year ever for us to exercise faith when the 401k and the Roth IRA would make a lot more sense than giving to God's kingdom. So what do we got to do? We got to, like Abraham, have our eyes on that heavenly table. We got to have our eyes on that heavenly home. We can't just be looking at what would make sense here, because giving for me and my family does not make sense at the level God's calling us to. It makes more sense to go, let's just see what the, how the economy plays out. Let's just see how the market plays out. But that's not living by faith. That's human understanding. And I want to live a life of faith, fresh life. And I want to lead you to that as well. And so seven years ago, we began putting other outreach partners' dreams ahead of ours. And so we fully fund every outreach initiative we put out before one single dollar will go to an outreach initiative of our own church and go to our own above and beyond projects and all the dreams. And I believe that that's part of the reason these seven years we've done that, that God has blessed us as, we, as he has. Because it would make a lot more sense for us to say, hey, with our buildings, God's going to do great things through them with our dreams and all that we want to do as we expand. That's all good stuff. But because we've put it the other way around, I believe it's given us the opportunity, as we've been staying in our own church in this city he's called us to, to have faith still. And this year, more than ever, I mean, I, my, I've been like wearing a hole in my stomach lining going, how are we going to fund all these things? Because are the people really going to give in a time when the economic uncertainty and inflation and difficulty makes keeping our eyes on an earthly table easier than a heavenly table? 
but I'm just, I'm just here in front of you saying, I'm scared. I'm, I'm as scared as I was 15 years ago. I'm as uncertain as I was 15 years ago. But let's step out again. Let's trust God again. Let's believe he's going to do it again, not only to reach people throughout our church, but to fully fund these dreams and build buildings and do all the things God's called us to do to continue to send the gospel out. Why? So that those who are stranded in sin might find life and liberty in Jesus Christ. And tr hands trembling. I believe God's going to do it. I believe God's going to do it through all of us all taking those steps of faith. And if this is your first time, look, at that, uh, that little step, like Tim said, is just fine. And if you have enough faith to take a big step of faith and trust God in that way, then we welcome that too. It has been through the generosity of a lot. No one person can do, any, do anything in God's kingdom, but all of us doing what we can to do. So what we, what we say every year, we're going to say it again. We're going to ask the question, what is God calling me to do? I'm not telling you to give anything next Sunday. I'm telling you to ask God what he would have you to do. If he says, give nothing, then give nothing. But if God says to follow his example, and I say, follow my example of receiving generosity and giving it, then to do that. For some of you, your first gift is going to be that first tithe because you're not tithing. So this is the first step of faith to begin that journey of tithing. And you look, there's going to come a day when God will call you to give an offering above and beyond that. But you got to work your way up to that. You got to start somewhere. And I'm excited to see what God's going to do through each and every one of you, church online, every location. Amen. Are we going to see God do it? Hey, let's pray together. Let's pray together. I just wanted to give a, a moment of surrender, a moment of response. We just heard this amazing message about faith and trust and vision and ambiguity. And at the end, Pastor Tim was saying, I want to welcome that ambiguity. It's not only just tolerate it, but welcome it. And I'm, listen, I'm a, I'm a type A control freak. So ambiguity is very difficult for me. But I'm saying, God, I welcome your ambiguity. I welcome that I don't know. I welcome that there's mystery. I welcome that the secret things belong to the Lord. And if you're a part of our church right now in this moment, you're saying, whatever that looks like, God, I welcome that as well. I want to open up my heart to that mystery and that secret place of trusting you and watching you move in power. If you can control it, God probably didn't do it. But where we step out of the boat, where we step out in faith or stay in the boat with faith in our heart, we open ourselves up to whatever you have for us. Your will be done is what we're saying. If that's you, I'm describing. And you're saying, God, I welcome that ambiguity into my life. Raise up your hand. Raise up your hand. Raise up your hand. Right there in the chat, put that emoji up. My hand's up, my hand's up, my hand's up. God sees you. God sees that. That's, that's, that's a big thing. I celebrate faith rising in this church. I pray, God, your blessing, your kindness. Eventually, in time, that clarity. And it might not be till we look back. I look back on that, that pancake breakfast, and I laugh now, but in the moment, it felt real. Maybe he knows something I don't know, but I'm going to trust God anyway. That's what God wants. It's all God's ever been looking for. The just shall live by faith. Father, bless these and bless your church as you build it, Jesus, as you build your kingdom, as we keep our eyes on that heavenly city. You are our prize, God. Please stay our first love. Don't let anything else creep in. Don't let anything else crowd you out. We don't want the thorns and the cares and the riches and the pleasures to 
crowd out the good seed and the hundredfold increase. Bless Tim and Juliet and this podcast as they're bringing the conversation of the gospel into, into beautiful places and spaces through the basement. We love you. You can put your hands down. If, as we're praying, you would just say, hey, look, I'm, I've never actually made a decision to follow Jesus. I, I can't trust God. I've never taken that step of faith and given my life to him. But you sense the Holy Spirit. There's just such an overwhelming sense of his presence here. You want that, that changed Tim's life, that has changed my life. You want God's grace to come into your life. If as we're praying, if you would say, I don't, I don't have the promise and the confidence of heaven, I don't have the promise and confidence of life everlasting, but I want that. I want to pray with you. I'm going to ask you to say this to God. Say it out loud. Mean it in your heart. He'll hear you. Say this. Say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm broken and lost. I need you. Please come into my life. Make it your home. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray.